Moving. I'm not going to move anymore down here. I think the next one is going to be to Glory Land. How about you? <laughs> I'll be glad. That's our next move. I hope that it's uh, going to be great. All right. We are in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. I encourage you to find your Bibles or follow along. Matthew chapter 6, we continue our series on the greatest sermon of all time, Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we looked at chapter 5. Jesus was speaking to expose the superficial teaching of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Today, as we get into chapter 6, he is going to expose and reveal the hypocritical actions of these religious leaders. They were religious on the outside, but inside they were just empty and dead. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read the first 13 verses this morning, and then we'll pause to pray. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we bow in your presence today. And when we open your word in Matthew chapter 6, we realize that we are we're treading upon the very teachings of our Savior Jesus. May they come alive in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the principles of true worship is what Jesus is starting out these first few verses and talking about. Again, he was dealing with the Pharisees, which were the religious elite of the day, and everyone looked up to the Pharisees because they seemed to be the real holy guys. They seemed to be very outwardly very religious, and Jesus came and he exposed them for what they were. Last week he exposed their teachings, now he's exposing their actions in these, and he uses the word hypocrites, hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites, and that word... It, it means that they were using their religious actions and exterior to cover up 
the sins of their own heart and promote their own gains. And the Greek word, is, it's a Greek word, hypocrite is, and it's from one who is playing a part. Uh, they get it from the old uh, acting masks that they would use to make and actors in the ancient plays would put a, a handheld mask on and, and then they would play another character, they'd put it on. It was not what they were really were, but they were playing a part. And that's the word Jesus used to describe these people. They were just playing a part. They were religious on the outside, but empty on the inside. So these Pharisees were insincere and dishonest. They were practicing this religion for one reason, to make people proud of them to appear to men as very religious. And there are three areas that they were doing that, and Jesus exposed that. First was the area of giving in verses 1 through 4. In the old King James, it's talking about do not your alms. The word alms means charitable giving. Back in Bible times, uh, poor people depended upon the gifts of those that were religious to survive. There was no safety net for them. If their family didn't take care of the poor people uh, and the religious people didn't, then they would starve to death. So it was one of the things that religious people would do is they would come to the temple and there would be several people begging and they would give them money. Well, the Pharisees did it, but they did it a little bit more ostentiously. They probably wanted to make sure When they came up and they saw someone that was begging and had a tin cup or looked obviously that they needed help, and they would uh, stop and they'd say, and they would get their bag out and very ostentiously look around and jingle their coins and they would drop it in the offering cup and make sure that people were looking when they did that. And the only reason they were giving, not that they cared anything about poor people, they wanted everyone to think that they were such generous people. But you know when Jesus taught, he said, when you give, you give differently. The, the Pharisees, it says that they were sounding a trumpet. And of course, that they didn't blow a trumpet when they were giving, it actually means they were wanting to make sure that everyone knew. When a trumpet sounded, something was going to happen. Uh, a king might be coming into town back from his battles, or the, the soldiers might be going to... Something was going to happen when a trumpet was sounding, and that's what they were doing, making sure that everyone knew what they were giving. But Jesus said simply, when you give, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, do it secretly. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving our offering in public. He was not condemning that. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, Barnabas in chapter 4 was known by the church as someone who gave. He sold his land, but he didn't make a big deal of it. He said, hey, use this for these poor saints that don't have anything to eat. And then another character in Acts chapter 5 by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, a couple, they saw the recognition that the church gave. Barnabas didn't want the recognition, but they saw, wow, Barnabas is really a great guy. He says, well, we've got some land. Let's sell it, and let's give some of it to the church. Well, they lied to the church. They said they'd give it all. And they did that so that they could have the recognition. Well, you know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They were killed for lying to the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus says, when you give, do it secretly. You know, we need to be giving to the Lord. I hope that you've developed the practice of giving on a regular basis. You know, you can give uh, even if you're poor, even if you don't have much. The amount is not the important thing. It's just giving to the Lord. And the attitude of the heart, you do it because you love God and you love people. And you're not doing it for a show. And that's what Jesus was saying, exposing the Pharisees for the reason they were giving. And then he talks about another religious practice, and that's praying in verses 5 to 8. Notice what it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Again, this is the Pharisees praying. They wanted to make sure that they had an audience. So when they would go into the synagogue to worship the Lord, they were praying loudly so that everybody could hear and says, wow, those Pharisees, they must really love God. Look and listen to the kind of prayers. And they would go into the corners of the streets. And they would pray out loud so that everybody that were walking through the streets of Jerusalem and the streets of the cities where the synagogues were could hear how godly they were. And they were praying, using all of these words. And Jesus says, but you. When you pray, go into your closet. Now, not necessarily literally every time we pray, we have to go and lock ourselves in our closet, but you get the idea what Jesus' point was. When you choose to pray, you go into your closet and you shut the door. You know, I heard that phrase a lot when I was growing up as a kid. Mom or dad would say, shut the door. And then usually it was followed by this phrase, were you born in a barn? You know, have you heard that one? <laughs> Why did he say shut the door? Because you would let in the flies or let in the mosquitoes or let out the hot air or in our case, let out the cool air. Shut the door. You don't want all those flies and everything to come in. What Jesus says when you go to prayer, shut the door the door. Shut out the distractions. Shut out the music of the world. Shut out all of those. Well, I tell you, one of the, my main problems in prayer is all those random thoughts that come into my head when I'm getting alone with God. I want to talk to God. I want it to be special, but then I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch today, or I'm thinking about what I got to do, and I'm thinking about my finance. You know, it's, a, it's amazing what your brain can do at, at two or three things at once. But Jesus says, shut the door, shut out the distractions, and talk to your Father in heaven. No one else needs to hear it. It's between you and God. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach the people. When you pray, you talk to God. You don't have to have rote, memorized prayers. You just talk to your Father in heaven. The vain repetition is using the same words over and over. And I think sometimes we can do that as well, just like the heathens did. The third area is fasting in verses 16 to 18. The Pharisees fasted. Notice what it says in verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, 
they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to fast. Now, fasting, the only fast that God actually required of the Jewish people was on the annual Day of Atonement in Leviticus 23:27. But the Pharisees thought that, well, let's be a little bit more religious than what God requires. Let's fast on Monday and Thursday. Every week, two times a week, they would fast. But when they would fast, they would make sure that everyone knew that they were fasting. The first thing that they would do, they would dress for the occasion. They would dress in sackcloth. And the Bible also says they disfigured their faces, so they probably put ashes or mud on their face. So when everybody saw the Pharisees coming along, oh, there's the Pharisees, they look like they are fasting. What a religious group of people they are. And they were probably saying, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm so starved. And they were making sure that everyone knew that they were very religious. Jesus says, but you, when you fast, when you want to have a time when you are alone with God and you need to pray about something. You need to to depend upon Him. Just don't eat. Just get away with the Lord. But wash your face. Put your regular clothes on so that no one knows what you and God are doing. It's to be done in secret so that your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You know what Jesus was teaching? Your faith and your religion needs to be real, and it's you and God. Now, if it's public, if people see what... It's not for a show. It's for your own walk with the Lord. It's not wrong to fast and if you do it with the right motive. So Jesus expands on one of these things, and now he's talking about the model of the Lord's Prayer, verses 9 through 15. In these verses of Scripture, uh, about seven years ago, I recall that I preached a series here on Sunday morning on the Lord's Prayer. This really is better called the Disciples' Prayer, because this is not the prayer Jesus prayed. His prayer is John 14, 15, 16, that, uh, John through 17. That was His prayer, but this is the Disciples' Prayer. Now, The first thing that he says, that your name be hallowed. Hallowed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, our Father. Let me ask you, first of all, can you call God your Father? Do you realize that every person who is born in this world is born a sinner? Only Jesus wasn't. But every every other person is born lost. And we only get saved when we acknowledge that Christ died for our sin and wash them away and we call out to Him in faith. That's what it says in 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. What a unique privilege that God has given us to be called the children of God, and we can call Him our Father. And it says, hallowed be your name. When we first come into prayer, we need to exalt the name of God. 
We need to praise it. We need to reverence it. We need to worship Him. Describe His grace and His glory for all that He's done for us. Describe His attributes, His character, His wonder, His amazement. And be focused on the Father when you, when you go to Him in prayer. Hallowed be Your name. Second petition or second thing in this prayer is Your kingdom come. I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm amazed hearing the news there's already people lined up to be the next president of the United States. They're announcing their candidacy, us lucky people. Aren't we thrilled with all this line of candidates that are coming out to run in two years? In two years. You know, there's conflicts with kingdoms. As a matter of fact, I just read in the news uh, that Venezuela's got a president and then they've got an interim president and they're fighting over who's going to be the next president. There's always conflicts in the kingdoms of this world. I am so glad that Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So when we pray, Your kingdom come, we're praying for that day when the Lord's kingdom would be established here on this earth. And we are citizens already of that kingdom. The third request, Your will be done. Selfishness reigns supreme in the American culture. Jesus has called his followers to live a countercultural life and, live and pray, pray a countercultural prayer, your will be done. Doing the Father's will is the one gigantic central theme which should dominate the lives of all of God's people. Your will be done on earth. Oh, don't we long for that? Don't we long for that day when America... And all of culture is doing the will of the Father. God's will being done in the legislature. God's will being done in the presidency. God's will being done in our local governments and in society. If God's will be done, will there be no more murders, no more kidnappings, no more violence and things? And we look forward to that day. Your will be done on earth. But we want your will to be done in our church as well. So what is God's will? Hey, it's right here. We follow the prescriptions of Scripture. We preach the gospel. We exalt Jesus Christ. We pray. We worship. We evangelize the world. We make disciples. That's His will for our church. But the greatest prayer we can say, Lord, Your will for my life. I am tired. I've been doing things my own way. I've followed my will and it's only gotten me in trouble. Don't you think it's time to say, Lord, your will be done in my life. I surrender that. That's what this prayer means. Your will be done, first of all, in my life. The next thing, give us. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer for provision. You might be thinking, says, well, I've got enough money in the bank. I don't need to pray for my daily bread. I can just go to Publix and fill up my shopping cart. I don't need to pray for clothes. I can just go down to Bell's or 
pennies and pay the money that I have. I, I don't need to pray for shelter. I got a mortgage I pay every, every week and the money's coming in. You know what this is? We need to look to God as our provider. He's the one that gave you that job. He's the one that gave you the money you have in your bank. He's the one that gave you the health, the strength, and all of these things. So when we pray, give us this day. It's a prayer of ultimate dependence upon God. I don't care how much money you have. Every last child of God needs to depend upon God for the air they breathe, for the health they have, for the life they have in their soul. And when we say, give us, Lord, we are depending upon Him, depending upon Him for our physical needs, our food, our clothes, our shelter, our healing, our paying our bills, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs, and we pray for others. Lord, give us this day. The next prayer is forgive us. That's a prayer for pardon. Forgive us our debts. We need forgiveness. I remember when I grew up in southern Indiana, lived for a few years down in southeastern Indiana, bordering Kentucky, Ohio, that corner down there. And I went to elementary school down there, and I sat in class, and I don't remember a whole lot, uh, but I do remember the teacher using uh, kids. There used to be things called blackboards that... Uh, teachers would write on, and there was this, this strange object called a piece of chalk, and they would, I, you don't use that anymore, I, I know it's not, but they used to write on blackboards, and they would give our arithmetic on there, they would give our spelling words on there, and you know what else they use it for? The naughty list, the naughty list, and I could tell some of you were on that naughty list. <laughs> Neil. Neil, I think you were on the naughty list, weren't you? Neil McIntyre, some of the others. Some of my deacons were on that naughty list, I know that. <laughs> and, and at Friday, the teacher would erase the whole blackboard. She would just erase it. But you know what? You could still see some of the names that were on there. So after school was out on Friday, the, the teacher gave a special assignment for two lucky kids they got to wash the blackboard. I remember. I remember that day that it was my turn, and I got the, everybody else went home, and I got to stay a little bit after school, and I got the, the water, and I got the sponges, and I made sure my name was completely gone off of that, of the, all of the arithmetic, and we started the day with a clean slate next Monday. That's what we do when we pray, Lord, forgive me for my sin. You know, God is the God of second chances. Even though we love Him and we know Him, we still mess up and we sin and we get all of that garbage on the blackboard. But anytime we say, Lord, I confess my sin to you, He is faithful and just to forgive us and He takes His grace and He cleans the slate. And that's what prayer is about. We can go to Him with that clean slate. That's the Father we have and Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Not just say it, but ask Him for it. And then there's the other request. Protect us. Deliver us from the evil one. 
deliver us from the evil one. I, I tell you, sometimes we, we need to be delivered. I remember when I was teaching my kids to drive. That's where I lost most of my hair. I taught all six of my kids to drive, and I taught my wife to drive as well. When she was 30 years old, I taught her how to drive. That was an experience. Because you can't yell at your wife. <laughs> you better not. Let's put it that way. Anyway, oh, I got some memories on that. Anyway, when I was teaching my kids to drive, you know, they were in the driver's seat, and I was, you know, watching them very carefully, had... You know, I, I, I made sure I could get my foot on the brake just, just in case. And then I would once in a while do one of these numbers, you know, just, just to make sure that the car was... I grabbed the steering wheel with my left hand to make sure, you know, calmly and not so that they could panic. I just want to make sure we're, we're on the road this time, sweetheart, and make sure we're not going on, you know. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's the way we are. We drive off the road... We are heading for the ditch, and that's, Lord, deliver us. That's what Peter did when he was sinking, Lord, save. We need that hand on the wheel. We need that Father's help, and that's what Jesus taught us to pray. God's your Father. Depend upon Him for your needs. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and help to get through the, the dangers of this life. Now Jesus teaching Something else here in verses 19 to 24, he's teaching on the enslavement of wealth. Now, in these verses of Scripture, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth. What is he talking about here where moth, moth, how can moths destroy treasure? Well, clothes were a treasure in Bible times. Now, the styles didn't change as much as they do today, you know. Uh, as a matter of fact, you had one suit of clothes. Um, you didn't uh, have to get any more. You had one for Sunday or Sabbath and one for daily, and you wouldn't have to go. I know you women are glad you're not living back in Bible times, just one outfit, and you're good to go. No, but uh, clothes were so expensive and so rare uh, and very, uh, you would even hand them down. I know some of you have got hand-me-downs, but this was treasure back then. And moths would destroy that treasure. Other treasure was coins, and rust would destroy that. The other treasure you would keep in your house, maybe precious stones and jewels and things. But thieves could break through your house. The idea there is dig through, because the houses back in Bible times were made out of clay. And all you'd have to do is just at night, you know, just pick away at that, and you could break in, and you could steal anything that was in the house. Jesus says, I, I tell you, don't keep your treasures here. Put your treasures in heaven. How in the world can we do that? How can we have treasure in heaven? Well, it means to use all that we have for the glory of God. It means hold lightly to the th 
possessions you have here and make sure that you have treasure in heaven that's serving God, that's loving God, that is giving all that you have in service to the Lord to glorify Him at all times. Hold lightly to the things of this earth because one day they're going to sift through your fingers anyway. So you'll have treasure in heaven. And then he talked about serving two masters. Now, in Elijah's day, the Israelites did not avowedly renounce Jehovah, but they tried to worship both him and Baal. And the prophets call, called them on this to decide which of the two is God and follow him to be one thing or the other. So they had to choose between Baal or God. Today, Jesus is calling us, choose who you're going to serve. You can't serve both of them. You can serve God or you can serve money or riches. And a lot of people that I see on a regular basis, hear about, and the world is filled with people who are serving the mighty dollar. It's all about acquiring wealth and things that money can buy. But Jesus challenged us, put your treasure in heaven and serve God. Well, he finished his sermon with a beautiful passage of Scripture, verses 25 to 34, about the cure for worry. The cure for worry. Notice what he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he gives some lessons. The lesson that he teaches is from nature. He talks about the birds of the air, the birds of the air. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store up their food, yet God feeds them. So are we not supposed to plant and store and do all the work that we can? Yes, we are, but the idea is our preoccupation with all of these things. I, I love birds, and you've probably heard that quite a bit. I have a flock of ibises that visit our backyard quite a bit, and we have a pond in our backyard, and the ibises come there, and they're always pecking around, trying to find it. Once in a while, when we have some extra bread, I go out there, and I throw the bread out there for the ibises, and if the muscovies don't scare them off, they enjoy that bread. And there's one particular white ibis that we've um, nicknamed Hopalong. And uh, the reason is because he's got one bum leg and he can't use it. But that one leg, he seems to get his share of the bread. He can hop just as fast as some, one of those birds with two legs. And he's always taking... And I'm thinking there as I'm feeding the... You know, if God can take care of that one-legged ibis, how much more can he take care of me that's made in the image of God? That's what Jesus was saying. God takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of his people, his children, and the lilies of the field, these flowers. Now, I don't know exactly what color they were. Maybe uh, somebody that would study that could find out. But the, the beautiful wildflowers that grew in Palestine, the lilies of the field. and says, Solomon, in all of his glory, all of his riches, that could choose any kind of clothing and garment that he could put on to amaze the people that are around and the gold and the silver, 
They're not, it doesn't even come close like one of these lilies. How God dresses those flowers in the beautiful garment of his, of his handiwork. And he even, Jesus even said, even the weeds, even the grass, grasses, how God beautifies them and the beauty that is there. You think that God is going to make sure that you have the clothes that you need if he clothes these things? Yes, he is. Lessons from nature. God is going to take care of us. And then he talks about our need to seek first the kingdom of God. It says there in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying three words that are very important as we look at these verses of scripture about how God takes care of them. The first word is faith in verse 30. It says, O you of little faith. If he takes care of the grass, how much more shall he clothe you, O ye of little faith? We need to believe him. And the second word is in verse 32. It says, your heavenly Father. You have a Father that will take care of you if you know Him. And then the third word is first. Verse 33, but seek first. That's the condition. Just put God first. Put God first in your life and He'll take care of you. Many of God's children can give testimony that's exactly what happened to me. When I decided to put God first in my life, He took care of all of my food, all of my clothes, all my shelter. God didn't say how lavishly He was going to provide for you, but He's going to take care of you. You seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will just come with Him. Jesus cuts through the religious externalism of the Pharisees to get to the heart of what genuine faith is all about. A pastor had been on a long flight from one place to another, and the first warning of the approaching problems came when the sign on the airplane flashed, fasten your seatbelt. Then after a while, a calm voice said, we shall not be serving the beverages at this time as we are expecting a little turbulence. Please be in your seatbelt and make sure that it's fastened. As he looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming a little apprehensive. Later, the voice of the announcer said, this time a little bit more, we are so sorry that we are unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkening skies, and within moments, the great plain was like a cork tossed around on a celestial ocean. One moment the airplane was lifted on terrific currents of air, the next it dropped as it was about to crash. The pastor confessed that he was even a little discomforted and worried about that. As he looked around the plane, he said he could see nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed, and some were even praying. The future seemed ominous and many were wondering if they were going to make it through this storm. Then suddenly he saw her. It was a little girl. Apparently the storm meant nothing to her. 
She had tucked her feet beneath her and sat on her seat. She was reading a book, and everything within her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes, then she would read again. Then she would straighten her legs, but worry and fear were not in her world. Then the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storms when it lurched its way this way and that and rose and fell with a frightening severity. When all the adults were scared half to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid. The minister could hardly believe his eyes. Finally, the plane landed. The passengers began to disembark so relieved the pastor had to go up and talk to this little girl. He couldn't resist, so he lingered around to speak to the little girl and commented about the storm and the behavior of the plane and asked, why weren't you afraid? The child simply said, because my daddy's the pilot and he's taking me home. You know, there's many kinds of storms that buffet us. We have physical storms, mental and financial and all kinds of trouble and the skies get dark and the rain gets strong and we wonder if we're going to make it through. That's when we need to be reminded our Father is the pilot and He's just taking us home. Will you learn to trust Him? Will you learn to know that He cares for you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that we can call you our Father because we believed in your Son. I pray, Father, if there's one that has never made sure that they have accepted your Son as their Savior, they're not sure they can legitimately call God their Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict that one and give them the courage to make that decision even today, to call upon you even for the first time and and call you Father. Lord, if there's one that's there, give them the courage to talk to me about that decision. But Father, those of us who have been riding on the plane of life for a long time, through the storms and through the darkness and through the loss and the tragedies, we know you've been there, Father, because we could feel your steady hand on our wheel. God, give us that trust that you're just taking us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have have been given that unique privilege of calling you our Father. We hallow your name. We bless you. We thank you for your promise to take care of us. Lord, dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.